Welcome to a Shot in the Arm podcast. I'm your host, Ben Plumley, and this is a podcast about innovation and equity in global health. We're brought to you in partnership with the Bay Area Global Health Alliance, a network of academics, tech, biotech, and other private companies, NGOs and community organizations all based in the Bay Area and all committed to improving the health of people around the world. It's World AIDS Day, a moment for us to reflect on the nearly 38 million people around the world living with HIV, the 680,000 people who died as a result of HIV this year, and the 1,500,000 new infections we saw. The theme is ending inequalities and AIDS. So it's really fitting that our guest today is a voice of who has inspired the first generations of people living in a world of AIDS. And then as COVID hit in the year in the world two years ago, she has made incredible use of social media, particularly Twitter, to promote mask wearing and defend the rights of trans communities. Whether you are from Britain, Europe, South Africa, Australia, or the US, she is a national treasure, and she is one of the most beautiful voices we all know. Please join me in welcoming Hazel Dean. Welcome to A Shot in the Arm, Hazel. Well, thank you for that. That's, that, was, uh, that was lovely. Thank you very much, and it's a pleasure to be there, here. Well, yes, <laughs> here, where? <laughs> yeah, where are we? <laughs> you announced earlier this year you were retiring from from the music industry, or at mm. least from performing at Pride concerts. Um, and then you went ahead, went into the studio, recorded two brilliant collections of songs, uh, and released them digitally with Pete Ware, your longtime production partner and former Divine Musical Director. So I got to ask, how is that? How is retirement working out for you? Well, to be honest with you, I was thinking about retiring um back in 2019 i mean it had been on on my mind because this year is i've been in the music industry for 50, i think it's 51 years this year it was 50 years last year um so you know i had been considering it anyway um so going down into lockdown sort of i, I guess sort of cinched the deal for me really because I, I realized that you know i i would be perfectly fine um and it, it's it, it, there are so many reasons why why I wanted to, to re retire from live shows. Um, just just general stress, really, and the, the driving and the traffic, mm. all sorts of reasons. And um, but you know, I, I didn't want to um, retire from everything. So um, you know, I, I was in the studio the week this this weekend just gone actually. Um, so I decided to carry on with, uh, you know, recording. Those two albums, by the way, are albums that I, re I recorded about um, uh, three or four years ago, um, and I've just got all the rights back to them. Um, so out of interest, you've, you've never heard of those albums before? No, I hadn't. They're new to but, you. Well, that's interesting. So. Yeah, and they came to me via Spotify. And yeah. I, I should say there are a number of your very early albums that – being here in the US, I can't access, which presumably is a licensing issue. But but that's yeah. that's for another another time. So <laughs> so can I take you back those fifty one years? When did you know you wanted to become a singer? Oh, at a very early age. I, I I would say when I was about seven or eight, really. I um I just loved pop music from a very very early age. Um, I wanted to be in the Beatles. I want. I loved Cilla Black. I, I loved all those um, 
those great uh, uh, singers and songwriters for that that period in time. I, I just I just always felt something inside. And then I um, when I when I went to um, senior school, I, um, I that's where I started to learn to play the guitar. I guess I was about how old would I've been? Twelve, thirteen, something around that age. Once I started to do that, that that was that was it really. <laughs> I, I knew that that's sort of what I wanted to do. How I would do it, I didn't know. But I I learned to play the guitar. I had a natural sense of rhythm. Um, and um, I joined that we had a band at the school and I joined the band and we, we did little gigs um, you know I, I, I come from Essex the county of Essex I used to do lots of sort of little singing bands all around Essex whilst I was a teenager as a semi-professional um, I had um, I did have um, I did go to school of singing um, so you know I learned how to use my voice properly breathing or oh, everything um, and then when I was seven, this, the school of singing that I went to, the Morris Burnham School of Singing, um, uh, they, they sort of guaranteed to help you get your first professional job. Hmm. So, um, which i would be interesting to see if, if that sort of thing goes on now. It, 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 everything's so different now. But, um, uh, and I, I got a job with a band singing up in, in Stoke-on-Trent. And uh, and that's how I started my professional career as a singer. Wow! So that that would have been 1970. So you would have spent, um, say, seven or eight years working it, really working it to get to get Not your break. Than that. Yeah, I I um, I worked all through the 70s in lots of big bands. I mean, I don't know if you may have heard of any of like the Ray McVeigh band, Andy Ross band, Johnny yeah. Howard, big bands. Uh, in that time and of course back in those days we had all these fabulous places where you could sing in big live bands all the mecca dance halls um that used to be up and down the country so you know i that's where i learned my craft really and um and i loved every minute of it and um i've done session work i've done you know i've done an awful lot of stuff and um and then i um that was all through the 70s and then we're going into the 80s now i, I was a, a singer in bands professionally i'd say 12 or 13 years be, before searching was a hit wow and um, then you discovered you discovered high energy and 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 that's sort you know and, well, and here's the fanboy <laughs> <laughs> here's the fanboy coming out you know it's it it is feels like the sound the, the style of music where you really found your voice uh, so one that connects you to the growing um, electro pop mainstream yeah. of the early '80s, but also the gay community who absolutely yeah. loved high energy, and you know most of uh, a shot in the arms viewers and listeners know exactly what we mean when we talk about dancing out to high energy. But but yeah. how would you describe that music? Why did it appeal to you? Um, this is why I say it found me because up until that point, I mean I've. I've in the sort of late seventies, I mean, I was I did have my own band at one point, but I was doing, I wanted to sort of be the, I wanted to sing big ballads and things really, and I used to sing a lot of sort of soul, uh, sort of eighties soul stuff. I used to love all that kind of stuff, but the the the, the, the track that really turned me on to um, the, the high energy stuff was uh, Gloria Gaynor, "Never Can Say Goodbye," and I used to sing that in one of the bands that I was in. I just used to, I used to think that was such a fantastic track, all the strings and mm. 
I loved it. And, and that was the, the sort of first song of like the high energy uh, sort of genre that, that I, um, you know, that I loved. Um, and I did back in the 70s and sort of mid 70s, about 75, 70, that would have been 70, would have been 77, I would say. I recorded, um, I recorded some tracks back then, which unbeknown to me were really big on the, the, um, the northern soul scene in this country. And that's how I got, that's what I'm saying. It found me in many ways because they were, uh, I did a cover version of Our Day Will Come. Hmm. I don't know if you know that song. Our yes, Day I do. Come. Yeah. And uh, and also I was working with a guy called Paul Curtis and Pip Williams, who Pip Williams went on to be a huge, uh, he, he does arrangements and things um, and productions. And, and, and an, an original song, Paul was a songwriter called Got You Where I Want You, Babe. And um, so it was through those songs that Ian Anthony Stevens, who wrote and produced Searching, heard my voice on the northern soul scene. So we're in the early 80s now, and um, I was doing, as I just said, singing in bands, sessions. I was also, by this time, I was writing. I'd got piano in my little flat. Um, and um, But he kind of tracked me down because uh, he tried searching with a, with a couple of other people. <laughs> Yeah, and because uh, this is how it was, <laughs> and um, and 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 he tracked me down basically, and um, and I just heard this song searching. Um, so it it it's a question I ask a lot of my guests, and as you, as you know, Hazel, a lot of the people who come on a shot in the arm podcast podcast are doctors or nurses or community people. But they all begin their career. It really starts to take off just as the AIDS epidemic hits. And yeah. I, I asked them, how did that affect you? And it, it seems an absolutely relevant question for you. you you're, you're finding your groove, as it were. And then here you are in an era of this new epidemic. So, mm -hmm. yeah, how does it affect you? Um. Well, obviously, at the, at the time, I was I was sort of riding high with with searching in because it was it was a gay anthem before I walked on. I mean, the first thing I did was heaven. The first the gay club I walked into was heaven, and I and um, and I'd been singing in a little band before that. Before I walked on stage at heaven, I'd been singing somewhere else in a band, <laughs> which was really weird because it was so. There I was in my frock. Uh, singing in a band and the next thing I'm on I'm singing in heaven and everyone's going crazy and search was number one and and well I just it was fantastic and but it you know I had it, I went through 1983 doing every gay club I came to the states um and then I'm trying to think uh it, that in 1983 I mean like everybody I, I wasn't aware hmm. at that point in time what was going on I know it was starting to happen, and um, but it's I didn't it didn't it was 1984 really because I think I'd already had the hit with searching, and the thing that I remember more than anything else was I used to do a club in Brighton called the Pink Flamingo. Oh yes, do you do you, do you remember yes. that? Club? <laughs> and um, I always and I'd done it a few times. One of my first PAs for searching was in that very club. And I remember this particular night, I used to walk down the staircase, I used to walk down to the club, and you could hear it all thumping. You know, I think, oh, this is going to be good. And you'd walk down, and normally it's packed. 
and because um, I'd, I'd arrive about an hour before I was due to go on stage. But this particular night, I walked down, I could hear everything going, you know, the, the thumping music and us, but I walked down and the, the whole place was practically empty. And like it was a real big shock. And I, I, and I think that was, my, that was my first experience of what was happening um, with, uh, with, with the whole AIDS situation. Because I, at first I thought it was, is it me? <laughs> and, um, and that's where it all sort of begun for me, really. Yeah, I, I mean, I started coming out in the in the mid '80s, and I certainly saw you at the uh, Black Cap. And yeah. for those of us who braved going south of the river, the the two brewers, two brewers, yeah. But there you are doing this, and you're also becoming like the foundation of the stock Aiken and Waterman hit factory production <laughs> house. And these seem to me two very, and of course they had hits every five minutes. So that's that seems a very strange place to be, doing the clubs, but also part of this this hit factory. What was that like? Um, I didn't really sort of think much about it. You know, for me, the two things, it, it just kind of went hand in hand. Really, I wasn't, you know, here I am doing all these these fabulous clubs. The gay clubs and I like you know it was I just loved it because they took me to their hearts and um, I guess also once I I sort of done that show and I, I found out more about what was going on with AIDS and and um, uh, you know um, that I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna sort of catch it by just looking at someone or being in a in a club it's it's the sort of educating yourself isn't it about the whole thing and. Um, I, I just wasn't going to stay, you know, I wasn't going to just suddenly stop doing doing the, 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 the clubs, you know, because I was kind of, in a way, I'd fallen in love with the whole thing. Um, but I, I, I didn't really think about the whole thing with PWL because it was all part of it. It just, mm. in many ways, it all sort of went hand in hand, really. And so I, I, I carried on and um, I did, you know, there was the Terence Higgins Trust. I did a lot of sort of, I had a just... You know, if you educate yourself about something and you're careful, then you know you do it. And and you educated I yourself. I wasn't going to desert the, the whole, you know, because it was all part of what was going on. There is there there has always seemed, and it, it it's it's true now as you communicate on Twitter and Facebook. There is a you know, damn it, I'm going to do it my way approach to things, and and I. I wonder how you educated yourself during these times. You mentioned the Terence Higgins Trust, which is where where I first went, which is where I yeah. got my information, my my support, and made sense to me. And, and the Terence Higgins Trust has been has been um, you know a, a a a very public supporter of what you've done, you and mm. Kelly Marie. Very very yeah. few people actually engaging with the gay community. Then were you were you aware? of what you were doing, that this was such a statement of support? Not at the time. No, I didn't. I didn't. It's, it's only, it's more probably, probably more now than, than, than back then that I realised, you know, when, when the, um, the series came out, It's a Sin, um, yeah, I, I realised then that, well, you know, and, and I see things, when I, when I watched something very recently, um, but no, I, I watched a film. I know what it was. It was um, oh, what uh, Jamie. There's a film called 
uh, the, the show yes. called Jamie. Something about Jamie. And there's there's a whole section in there and um, that we watched, uh, you know, real footage of the time. I'm thinking, oh, my God, you know, I was there. Uh, and um, I, I think it's really hit home more now than 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 it maybe it did then because i was i was just part of it i was just part of it really you sang live and you sang live in crowded smoky venues you you've spoken oh, yes. about how you you trained your voice how yes. did you take care of it um well i you know i learned to breathe properly that that was the biggest thing really is is learning to do your diaphragmatic breathing it's it's most important um i mean you know Oh, yes, I did sing in a lot of smoky rooms and there'd be people with cigarettes down the front. And that, if any, if it really annoyed me, I'd say something. I mean, I'm not scared to say, excuse me, can you, you know, move with your cigarette or whatever? That was annoying. Um, I didn't know. Again, I, I just, just could. Um, I have to say, you know, in, in later life, uh, life, and it's one of, and again, it's another reason why I have retired is that. I think after all these years, um, you know, my voice has suffered a little bit. Everybody's voice changes as you get older. I mean, if you like with the ABBA stuff, they've all dropped their keys. Even Mr. Elton John has done that and, and so have I. I've, I've dropped a couple of keys. But, you know, your voice changes and, and everybody's different. I mean, I've still got a high – I can still well, – maybe not so much now, but I can still reach all the high notes, get my low, my low notes, but my – area was my middle range was always affected yeah you know and and i had to take that into consideration when i was retiring as well because that used to stress me out quite a lot so uh, it, situation it's it struck me on this these two new albums the dean and ware collection yeah um and and i'm i'm behind the able because they've been out for a little while but it strikes me that your voice, and again, apologies if I sound fanboyish, but it actually sounds to me like your voice has got richer and deeper. And um, in one of the communications you and I had in trying to set this, this conversation up, I mentioned to you how I thought you were beginning to sound um, like Dusty Springfield. And I know that's a very gay thing to say, but um, and I know so many eyes are going to be rolling because I said that. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to be a Dusty Springfield. So I wanted to be one of those girls because I grew up in, in that time in the 60s. I loved all that. And, um, yes, um, well, of course, I covered some of my favourite songs, 24 Hours from Tulsa, Close My Eyes and Get Up to 10. I mean, because I was co-producing it, I could sing whatever I wanted. So I chose those songs because I'd always wanted to cover them. I also covered things, songs, uh, from uh, the early 80s, like Close to Perfection, Michael Brown, I Believe in Dreams, Jackie Raw. They were great songs. I've always wanted to cover them. And this was a chance for me to do it. And so I did it. And I loved every minute of it. I, I, I recorded those albums back in sort of 2011, 2012, around that oh, okay. period of time. And, yeah, my voice was, was um, it was good. Yeah, I got to say, I think it's masterful. If if yeah, that's the right uh, thing to be said, those albums, for a, I have to yeah. say, Peter Ware and I, I mean, um, it was a labour of love, and we both thoroughly enjoyed recording those songs. So now, during had the to be done. had to be done. Yeah, during the during the millennium, uh, your your life changes a bit. Um, you're you're balancing performance with motherhood. Um, 
again, you're a very private person, but your daughter, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, Stevie, has played an increasingly public part of your life. I mean, yeah. just this weekend, you and she donated her hair to the Little Princess Trust, which provides mm -hmm. wigs and grants for kids affected by cancer. Um, clearly, motherhood has dramatically changed you. Could you talk a bit about that? Well, it does. It just changes your, your whole life. Things are, ne things are never the same again, to be honest, because there's there's this little person in your life and, and they are number one and you've got to be there. So you've got to juggle the whole thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, she's, well, she's 17 at Christmas. And, um, yeah, it's been one heck of a ride, really. She, she's, I mean, that was her choice to do that with the hair. It was her choice. And um, we've always tried to be, you know, we we talk to Stevie about stuff. We we uh, we're as honest as she's been growing up, and she asks about things. We would talk to her, as you know, whatever age she was, we'd talk to her in a way that she would understand. And and so she, you know, we would we would reason with her. And um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, uh, uh, with the hair, uh, she met another little girl. Funny enough, I think it was at one of the Let's Rocks um, festivals that we did. And and I think there was um, yeah someone else had done this and she thought that was such a fantastic thing to do and she decided to do it herself. So she, you know she didn't need any sort of pushing from us. She she, she just got on and did it and grew it. And yeah, yesterday her, her dad uh, cut her hair and um, and she's you know she's raised some money. She's been sponsored as well and that was all her own doing. So mm. um, but yeah you it's. Um, it's hard work, it's tiring, but it's so rewarding because she, she is a, she's a lovely girl. Well, I, I, I've not had children. We've got dogs, and I see you've got well, we dogs, have dogs too. As well. Yeah, and fish, oh. <laughs> and probably some other things along the line. <laughs> so, can I bring us to to today, to twenty twenty one, and and sort of social justice? Um, our partner in putting this podcast together is the Bay Area Global Health Alliance, and it's it's companies, it's individuals working in the the social tech sectors. Um, 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 while your big hits have always been on my playlist, lockdown has reintroduced me to you in two ways. First of all, as we we've, we've spoken about, I can get nearly all of your albums on Spotify. But secondly, and much more importantly, you emerged on my Twitter feed and have become one of Britain's most vocal advocates on, on two things, on COVID protection for um, uh, crews working with artists, but also around trans rights. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to talk to you about both of those things, but how have you come to see that technology can be used so effectively? Our social media is a, is a team effort, really. My daughter and my partner keep me up to date you know, with what's going on, we discuss everything and decide how I can raise issues and show my support on my social media. I'm not an activist. I just try to be a decent person and, and just do the right thing because, of, you know, I care because I think that I think that the trans community are being persecuted right now. And I don't really know why. I, I, I think I just think this the whole COVID thing has, has it brings out the great in people it brings back out all the good things in people but it also brings out it seems to bring out bad things in people as well and and um and, we're, and it's uh, they're just being persecuted and it's not right mm. so of course you know i'll stand by them 
because they they have stood firmly with the gay community for, for so many years. And I, I just think it's such a shame because, um, you know, I think everybody deserves to have the right, as long as they're nice, as long as they're good people and kind people, everyone has the right to be who they want to be. And it's just as simple as that, really. Yeah. Nobody's free until everybody is free. Oh, exactly. It's crazy. Yeah. But, you know, many people might have been frightened off social media. You've embraced it. Um, <laughs> from I don't AIDS, understand it, but... Yeah, right. <laughs> Understanding it's a completely different you know. thing. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of help. <laughs> but, you know, you refuse to back down. You say, I refuse to be frightened. And I, I think there's something very interesting in that, that, that you know, so for, for young gay men back in the mid to late 80s, refusing to be frightened and having that inspiration from the, the, the sort of the beat of your music that sort of pulsed through us, yeah. that was very important. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I, I just have nothing to be frightened of. These, these, uh, everybody has a right to be who they want to be. And um, I have a platform and I can, you know, I'll speak up. I'll do. I'll do just as what I can, really. You know, I, I did my prides for for I was thirty eight, thirty nine years, um, and over the last ten years, as you probably know, we've used "turn it into love" as a as a as a special saying, and and it's it's just become important. It's 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 nothing really. It's just someone saying, "Who cares about people?" And I can say it in a song, and I do, and yeah. um, I just do the best I can in my own little why well uh i would say perhaps it's not so little but maybe yeah we're so we're i, I always ask my guests what's keeping them sane two years into covid and um i'm actually putting together a spotify list of my favorite hazel dean songs which will be attached to the show list mm -hmm. uh, show notes for this uh for this special world aids day epidemic but uh, what would be on Hazel Dean's playlist? What are you listening to at the moment? <laughs> well, um, we listen to the radio. Uh, and and because you asked me, yeah, one of the questions was Hazel's Spotify pandemic playlist. And uh, I don't use Spotify. Um, so our family pandemic playlist has always been provided entirely by the BBC Radio 2. <laughs> <laughs> But that I, is a lovely shout-out yeah, for the I BBC. Well, it's true. I love, I love, yeah, I've got all my favourite programmes. And, um, but obviously, I, I mean, I'm a CD girl. When I'm driving in my car, I have my CDs. And I'm sort of Barbra Streisand, or old school, you know, Dinah Ross, just got the new Dinah Ross album. It, it's all the greats, really. But I like a lot. I, mean, I think there's some fantastic singer-songwriters out there right now, like your Ed Shearings. There's some great voices. So there's, there is some great music around at the moment. So, look, we're coming up to the top of the hour. Is there, is there anything we've missed that you think we ought to cover? Anything that, um, you know, you think it's really important we know? Not really. I think, I think we've covered most things. Uh, I did write a few things down. But no, I think I've, I've said everything, really. Um, I think I've said it. I, I, I mean, I did write down this because, uh, you know, I, I did write down, I don't care about anyone's colour, gender, sexuality or physical ability. All I care about is that you are a kind and decent human being or not. The, res the rest is irrelevant. We are all equal. 
But I think that is a lovely way to wrap up this episode. Thank you, Hazel. You are a shot in the arm. Bless you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Well, thanks to Hazel Dean. Thanks to Becky in Dino Management for helping us brush out the cobwebs of our memories in getting this episode together. Thanks to Sarah Anderson from the Bay Area Global Health Alliance. And thanks to Eric Espera, our director and producer. Thanks also to Troy Espera, our digital producer. And finally, thanks to you. Don't forget to hit like and subscribe on whatever podcast or video platform you are enjoying this content on. And all the more this World AIDS Day. Have a great week and a safe week, everyone.